0: Summer of Love. It's uh, our new sermon series. I don't know what you think of that title for a sermon series. All I know is if you remember the Summer of Love, you're old. So I'm gonna tell you that. Okay. (laughs) All right. So the few of you that actually like me just changed your minds. So now I'm in deep trouble. Uh. We're going to talk more about what that sermon series is about and why we named it what we did, but uh, it's, uh, it's the beginning, basically, of a sermon series in the book of 1 John, and uh, this series is going to take us through the summer, and, uh, and so um, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the summer of love, um, but let me start by asking you a question. Uh, some of you will remember this from your childhood or teenage years. Do you ever remember playing the telephone game? You know what I'm talking about? So, so one person has this hard saying and they whisper it to somebody who whispers it to the next person. And if the line is long, by the time it gets whispered to everybody and it goes down the line, by the time it comes to the end, it doesn't sound anything like it sounded at the beginning, right? Right? So you, you come up with some kind of a phrase like, 55 friendly fishermen fried 50 fish for 15 fanatics in a fanatic frenzy. And you whisper that in somebody's ear, Right? And then they whisper to the next person, the next person, the next person. By the time you get to the end, it comes out like 55 flashing frankfurters fell fastidiously from 15 fishing frigates. And you go, wow, that doesn't sound anything like it originated. Um, It it seems like the further you get from the original message, the more convoluted things become, right? And um, when you leave it up to people... So just sort of guess what the message might be, it gets even more convoluted than that. Watch this video, you see what I'm talking about. Do you believe in God? No. You don't believe in God? I am an atheist. It's just I don't even deal with it one way or another. I observe people's beliefs, it's fine. You know, whatever gets you through the night, that's cool with me. Listen, do you believe in God? Uh, yes. Not... You Yes. You're not sure? Like a higher power. Yeah. A, yeah. a, a higher, higher power. power. A higher power. So yeah. do you believe in God? Uh, yes, I do believe in God. What do you believe? I believe in uh, Buddhism. Oh, Buddhism. Yes, sir. OK, I was 13, and I thought, and I saw Harry Potter, and I thought I was a wizard. Really? Just because my mom <laughs> was, like, all about that. Now, what, what do you believe? I believe in spiritualism. I believe in karma quite a bit. I believe whatever you, you send out, negative energy, you get back 10 times. We're all carbon-based beings in the same universe, so. Carbon-based being, that sounds awfully impersonal. I guess so. Do you believe in God at all? Um, I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I believe in a God. Um, I believe in, um, again, I'm a spiritual person. <laughs> I don't. Know if I necessarily believe in God. I wish more people ask themselves those kinds of questions. Uh, I do believe in like a higher calling, um, a greater, uh, a greater force out there. Do you believe in God? Bet. Why do you say it like that? Well, uh, I think everybody should. Oh yeah. Well, talk to people who don't. Well, that's that's their choice, but yeah. they're wrong. But that's okay. <laughs> do I believe in God? Yeah. Yes. Why? Why? Yeah. It's it's been a long path. It didn't just uh, happen. I was very adamantly against the idea of God for a long time. Do you believe in God? Well, you know, I don't know that I uh, am a book God person. You know what I mean in terms of man-made God? I think there probably is a God, but I don't think another... I don't think you've got all the answers or, you know, or any other man does. All right. Here's the... Here's the question of the day. Do you believe in God? Um, Yes, we are. We do. Why? Why? Because you have to believe in something. Yeah, so do you believe in God? Yeah, but I don't know um, how God is. Um, It's important to believe in something, but I don't know what it is. But do you believe in God? I want to. I have questions. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. an example of the kind of question you might ask God. You know, whether God exists or not, yeah. uh, I, I do think there's a creator. Um, I, I am Greek Orthodox, I was born and raised there. Ah. Um, uh, and goes to church every I Sunday. I do go to church every Sunday, um, ah. and I want to believe. I think yeah. I, I believe more in like the power of positive thinking. A personal God is, I think I myself is a God to myself. You're a God to yourself. my world, I am the, at the end, I rule my own world, so I am a God of myself. I believe in God because, all right, I'm a computer programmer. I know how hard it is to design things. Right. I know that making something function is just debugging days, 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 days. And then I look around and I see this universe we live in and how complicated and insanely extreme it is. And I could never do this. No one around could ever do this. And I don't think chance could ever do this. Wow. So, Interesting. Do you believe in Jesus? I do. Why? Um, because I've looked around at a lot of alternatives, and that one wins. That one wins. <laughs> Man, people have a lot of ideas about God, don't they? Um, here's a question, though, for us to really ponder and think about. How does anybody know? Like, how, do you, how can you really be confident? Confident that what you believe is actually the case. Some people, especially when you start talking about Jesus, you know, people, when you ask, do you believe in God, you get all kinds of ideas. I am my own God, that one young man said. I appreciate that. At least he's being honest. That's what's true for most people. Um, somebody else said, well, yeah, I believe in God. I'm a Buddhist. And Buddhism doesn't, isn't really a, uh, a philosophy that has to do with any God. It's more a, a philosophy of thought. Um, but when you narrow it down and you say, what do you think about Jesus? It gets much more complex. And, and some people say that Jesus never existed. Some people say that Jesus did exist, but he no longer exists. Some people say that uh, Jesus did exist and was a good teacher and was a good person, but nothing more than that. Some say he was sent by God. Some say he's the son of God. Some people have the audacity to even go so far as to say that Jesus is God, which is a mind-boggling thought if you really stop and think about it. Some Jewish guy who lived 2,000 years ago claims to be God, and we're supposed to believe that. The Muslims say that Jesus is a great prophet, in fact, nearly as great as Muhammad. The Mormons say that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer and one of many gods. The Jews have varying opinions depending on which kind of Jew that you ask, right? And yet none of them will say that Jesus is God. Everybody seems to have an opinion about Jesus, but the question is this, who's right? And is there any way to even be confident about who's right? And, and, and who are you going to believe when all of these opinions get thrown out there? And if Jesus is the central figure in Christianity, then whatever is true about Jesus is at the crux of our faith as Christians. It sort of defines Christianity, doesn't it? Are there real Christians and fake Christians? Is it possible to think you are a Christian and not really be one? Is it possible to think you're not a Christian even though you really are one? And and where can you go to get evidence about God? I mean, none of us was there during the Bible times. None of us witnessed with our eyes the claims of the Scripture. We weren't there at the time of creation. We certainly weren't there at the time of Noah and the flood. We weren't there at the time of the Exodus. We weren't there at the time that Jesus walked the earth. And so how can we really be confident about where to even get our information about God? And so who are we going to believe? When it comes to this question of who Jesus really was or who Jesus really is, and what difference does that even make in our lives anyway? I can't judge anybody else's heart, but is there any way for me to know for sure whether even I am a Christian? Is that possible? Man, you guys have a lot of questions. <laughs> Guess what? The Bible has a ton of answers. And, and that's why it makes absolutely no sense to me for us to sort of grab in the air and try to come up with our own opinions and go, well, I think this about God, so it must be true. I think this about Jesus, so it must be true. The Bible actually is an authoritative, trustworthy source. And it gives us the truth about God. And that's why we're going to be digging into 1 John. Because in 1 John, um, that's where we're going to get this whole series called the Summer of Love. And we're calling it Summer of Love for two reasons. One is... It starts today, and it's going to go through the summer, okay? Now, some of you are saying, it's not summer yet. Well, have you been outside? <laughs> I think you can blame us because we started the summer ser- series that may have brought the weather. I'm not sure. But so one is it's going to take us through the summer to around Labor Day, and, and the other is that the main focus of 1 John is this theme of love. It just... It just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And he talks about love from all kinds of different angles. He talks about God's love for us. He talks about our love for God. He talks about our love for one another and what that ought to be looked like. He even comes right out and says, God is love. And that's chapter 4, so you've got to stay tuned if you want to hear about that. But my goal today is to introduce to you the book of 1 John and to unpack at least the first four verses for you. So let's start with the introduction to the book. First of all, the book is called 1 John. Any guesses as to who wrote it? Oh, it says, John. John, right? You guys are smart. You guys, you, this is the advanced class. First service, they had no idea. They're like, I don't know, Matthew, Thomas, they had no idea. Um, okay, so John wrote this. John who? Which John? There's a lot of Johns, right? Even in Scripture, there's a bunch of Johns. So so which John wrote this? Anybody know? John the Apostle. John the Apostle. Okay. He's not John the Baptist. This is not, um, you know, John who lives down the street from you. This is John the Apostle, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. He's the fisherman, right, who who Jesus said, come and follow me, and the scripture says he dropped his nets and left his boats and walked away from his father's business with his family left behind, and he walked away and followed Jesus. He was an eyewitness to so many things. In fact, even among the 12 of Jesus' closest associates, he was in the inner circle of the three, Peter, James, and John. Many times throughout the scripture, you'll see that um, the other disciples are left behind, but Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him, and the three of them go, and they get to see things that nobody else, no other human being laid eyes on, like the transfiguration, remember? Jesus takes them up the mountain, and, and there this mystical, amazing thing happens where there, you know, there's this interaction with God the Father, and Moses and Elijah are there, and, and there's this um, glorification of Jesus. And John and Peter and James are just sitting back. Of course, Peter is making suggestions. That's what Peter does. But John, he's just sitting back and viewing all of this. He saw it. Um, He was present for the majority of Jesus' miracles. He was present for the majority of Jesus' teachings. He sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. If you don't believe that's true, ask Ricky to show you his left arm. The picture is right there. You can check it out, right? Um, Jesus uh, counted him as beloved. In fact, John in his gospel calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which is a pretty heady thing to call yourself, don't you think? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, He was with Jesus and saw Jesus' sweat blood in the garden. He was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified and Jesus actually interacted with John while he was hanging on the cross and said to him, I want you to take care of my mother when I'm gone. That's how dear he was to Jesus, that even though Jesus had younger brothers, he, he gave the care of his mother to his most trusted brother who was John, who he was not even blood related to. And so he, he took care of Mary. He spent time with Jesus, not only before his death, but after his resurrection. He was one of the 12 followers of Jesus, who Jesus designated to be his apostles. And he blessed them with certain power, and certain blessing, and certain spiritual gifts. John was among the first human beings on the planet to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He was there, and he was filled with the power of Jesus, so so much so that he heals the sick in Jesus' name, so much so that he casts out demons in Jesus' name, so much so that he is literally inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. And also, did you know that John was the longest living of the Twelve Apostles? All of the other apostles, we have Judas who killed himself and is replaced, and then all of those uh, 11 are martyred for their faith. Every single one of them put to death in a gruesome way rather than deny their faith in Christ. But not John. John died of natural causes at a very old age after being exiled to an island called Patmos, which was a deserted island. He was exiled because he would not stop preaching Jesus. And while he was there on that island, he had some pretty cool encounters with God, right? Did did John write any other books in our Bible? Uh, He wrote the Revelation, which is the cool thing that happened to him on the island of Patmos, right? The Lord opened up, gave him a vision of heaven, and he interacted with what was happening there in heaven and gives us that Revelation, right? Did John write any other books in our Bible? He wrote the Gospel of John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's that John. He write any other books? Second John and Third John, right? So again, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, and everything he ever wrote he named after himself. So I don't know what his thinking was. Maybe a little bit of a big head, I'm not so sure. But but so we have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and we have the revelation. All of those inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by John's pen and still ministering to us today. So he was with Jesus. He was Jesus' closest friend. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was named as an apostle. He was empowered by God. He experienced all of the most fascinating and fabulous things that Jesus did. He lived with Jesus after the resurrection and watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And he wrote a big chunk of our Bible, other than that, he's just the average dude, okay? That's John. Now, we don't know the exact date that he wrote 1 John. Uh, but most scholars agree that it had to be around 90 to 95 AD, okay? So now, now think about this. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 AD, or we should say AD 35, is the time that of the crucifixion and the resurrection, okay? Some, somewhere in there, it just depends on which scholar you want to believe about how we did the calendar, but probably 35, 36 A.D., the time of the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. And so now roughly 55 to 60 years have passed by the time John writes 1 John. So a lot has happened. Not only has the gospel gone as Jesus said it would, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria but it is now beginning to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. It is spreading like wildfire by this point throughout the Roman Empire, right? And and people like Paul and Silas and Barnabas and others are taking the gospel to lands who have never even heard of the God of the Bible. And all throughout Asia Minor, these churches are popping up. All throughout that region of the world, we have churches in Galatia and Thessalonica, churches in Ephesus and Philippi and and Corinth, and all throughout the Greek and Roman world, the church is just spreading, right? And now we're, we're, you know, five decades since Jesus was walking on the earth. And in five decades, all of these other apostles have died. And we're left now with just one voice, who was actually an eyewitness to it all. And what has happened is that in the churches, even in Jerusalem, and in the churches that have gone out from Jerusalem, by now we have the second, third, fourth generation of leadership in these churches. Remember how many people in the early days were martyred because they were part of the early church. Even under Saul's persecution, many were martyred. And then the the persecution continued more dramatically even after Saul became Paul. Paul. And, and so leaders get wiped out and new leaders get rise, raised up. Leaders get wiped out and new leaders raise up. They get wiped out and new leaders raise up. Some are dying of old age. Some are just passing it on. Some are falling away from the faith. But basically now you have a church that is relatively established now at the end of the first century by the time John writes 1 John. And, and these leaders that have now infiltrated the churches... Many of them, great men of God, you can read about them, the church fathers, and you could see how God used these great men of God who were, who were disciples of the disciples of Jesus. But in many cases, the leaders of the church are not these great men of God, but they're heretics. And heresy is spreading now in the church at an alarming rate. And suddenly, we've gotten to a place in time where people don't even really know for sure if these stories about Jesus actually took place. Nobody's met anybody who is an eyewitness to any of this. And so nobody's really sure what to believe in. All of these heresies are raising up. And among those heresies, by the end of the first century, most prominent among them is a heresy called Gnosticism. And in Gnosticism, basically the Gnostics believe that the word gnosis means knowledge. And the idea is that that there are a select few who have special knowledge that is given to them spiritually that is not available to regular folks like you and me. And so these leaders in the Gnostic movement step up and they begin to teach new teachings. And they say, how can you question this? Because I have the Gnosis, I have the special knowledge. You don't have it, so you just need to believe me. And the people do because they're, they're not trained in the word of God, they're not literate, they weren't there, they don't have anyone else to ask. And they're believing falsehood. And the church is becoming very weakened by this false teaching, and it's moving from place to place. And so, to the Gnostics, it doesn't matter all of these details that we hold so dearly about Jesus. Because the Gnostics believe that, that nothing physical is real. That the only things that are real are spiritual and in the mind. And so, you know, Jesus didn't really have a physical body. He wasn't really born to a virgin. He didn't really die on an actual cross. He didn't really raise again. All of these things that we spent last week in celebrating that are the foundation of our faith, they said, no, no, these things didn't actually happen. That's just a spiritual idea. It's just a a figment of imagination. And so the true foundation of Christianity is being chipped away at. And so John is writing to help address that heresy. And, and, and he's writing to explain the actual truth. There are false leaders everywhere. And they're trying to capitalize on the fact that the actual eyewitnesses of Jesus are gone. And so you could say whatever you wanted about Jesus and there's nobody to argue with you. Just like the video we watched, right? What do you believe about God? Well, there's as many answers to that question as there are people, right? And, and you stick that microphone in somebody's face... Well, here's what I believe about God. And I don't really believe this. I believe that. And we couldn't even get two of them to agree, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Well, if all you need is your opinion, then what is truth? Is there any truth? Is there any way to know that there's truth? But John is in the role of hero for the late first century church because he was actually there. He actually knows what Jesus said. He knows what Jesus did He had firsthand information about Jesus, so he sits down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, picks up his pen, and begins to write a manifesto of sorts. Don't get confused. 1 John is not a letter. We usually refer to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as epistles or letters. 2nd John is a letter, 3rd John is a letter, but 1st John doesn't appear to be a letter. There's nothing letter-like about it. There's no introduction, there's no signature, there's no greeting, there's no salutation, there is nothing that is given to make you think this is a letter. What it is instead is more like a um, tract or a booklet. And and basically, it's written to confound or to, to argue the heresies that are out there that are questioning who Jesus is. So just like today, we have little booklets or little little tracks, maybe that you might get out and share with somebody at a bus stop and tell them about Jesus. Basically, this was a manifesto that was written to clarify doctrine as the last remaining apostle to make sure that people knew what the truth was and they didn't fall under the delusion of the heresies. And so he writes down, and he sits down and writes this manifesto. And basically, it's a spiritual lie detector test. That's what 1 John is. It is a way to say, how do you know the difference between the real Jesus and the fake Jesus that's being sold? How do you know the difference between a real Christian and a false Christian? How do you know the difference between right teaching and wrong teaching? And he gives us basically this booklet. By the way, you know that the Bible is not really a book, right? The Bible is a library. 66 different books right here, okay? Okay. So, so one of them is 1 John, and it's this little booklet, just a few chapters. And he says, let me explain the truth so that from now on, there will be a measuring stick so people will know the difference between this false claim of Christianity compared to the truth of Christianity. In a nutshell, it gives us a way to tell the difference. And John starts out by reminding us that he was there with Jesus for all of it, and he has authority to speak on these issues. If you haven't already turned there, find the book of 1 John at the end of your New Testament. If you go to Revelation and just go left a couple of books, you will find 1 John. And today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to look together at verses 1 through 4. So follow along while I read. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete." I don't know if you've spent much time in the book of 1 John. I don't know if you've spent much time in any of John's writings. But it's very interesting to read 1 John and the Gospel of John and see how much they mirror one another. In fact, I just read to you the first four verses of 1 John. Okay? It's talking about the word of life. It's talking about the beginning and what we've seen and that which was made manifest to us about God, Right? Now go to the Gospel of John. And let's look at the first four verses of the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. Fourth book of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let me read you verses 1 through 4, John chapter 1. In the beginning, we heard that before, was the Word. We heard that before. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Sound familiar? Very similar, right? The prologue to both of these books is very similar. And in fact, um, He talks about Jesus as the Word in both places. And and in John chapter 1, He talks about um, the Word being present in the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's substituting the name Jesus for the Word. He's calling Him the Word. And that, it's the Greek word logos. And the word logos basically is translated as word or logic or reason or expression or understanding. Right? It, it's, it's when you take sort of an idea that is in the mind and you manifest it through speech. So, for instance, when you have an idea or you have a thought... That is uniquely yours and it's in your mind, it's real, it exists, but no one else knows about it. No one else understands it, right? They may even be able to look at your face and go, I could see she's thinking about something. But they don't know what it is until what happens? You speak. You have to speak it, you have to write it down, and then it is made manifest. Then it is shared with other people, right? Jesus is called the Word. He has always been. He was with God in the beginning. In fact, He is God. He's the one who created all things, which means He Himself is uncreated, right? So that's one of the big differences, by the way, just that we'll get our little theology class out of the way. That is one of the big differences between God and us. We... Have everlasting life. We've been given everlasting life as human beings who are made in the image of God. Every one of us had a beginning point and from that point, we will live forever, right? You will either live in one place, in one manner, in one way or another, but you're not going to cease to exist. So there is a beginning and it goes on for everlasting. Jesus is not just everlasting, he is eternal And the difference between everlasting and eternal is that we had a starting point, Jesus does not. So we go all the way forward in time, Jesus goes all the way forward in time and all the way backward in time. In fact, time has no bearing on Jesus. He's the creator of everything. He is uncreated. He has always been and always will be. So John is telling us that this Jesus, the word, this manifestation, the reason, the logic, the speech of God, has always been God. And he's saying that Jesus is God and He's the expression of God that has been given to us to help us better understand. If we're still in the Gospel of John, go down to chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, has explained Him or has expressed Him or has manifested Him. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God. When you understand Jesus, you're understanding God. When you hear from Jesus, you are hearing from God. So he's talking about all the way beyond the beginning and the word existing. And so in John's gospel, he talks about the word existing in the beginning as God. He's talking about the eternality of Jesus. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1... When he talks about the beginning, let's go back to 1 John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, he is not talking about the beginning like the beginning of time. He's talking about the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's talking about what he saw, what he heard, what he handled with his hands. And what he's saying is, I was there for the whole thing. From the time of Jesus' baptism, when he began his public ministry, all the way through his ascension, he's saying, I was with him. I know that whole story. I was present for those conversations. I know the stuff that didn't get written down. I know him personally. We hung out together. We spent time together. We shared intimate ideas and thoughts with one another. We were entrusted to one another and it's been that way since the beginning of his ministry. In other words, he's claiming to be something of an expert witness here. That's basically what he's doing. He he was with him from the beginning. And these these new teachers that are infiltrating this early first century church, they can't make that claim. And so they, they may have New philosophies, they may have new ideas, but they weren't there. They didn't see him, they didn't hear him, they didn't touch him, they didn't get to know his heart. And John wants to be clear that the true message of Christ, the true gospel, has not changed a bit. Guys, this is so important. The minute you discover something about God that no one has ever discovered before, you've entered into heresy. The minute you go, hey, this is a new teaching. Nobody else has this teaching. Anybody tries to sell you that baloney, close the book, turn off the radio, unplug the TV, and get away. Because there is nothing new about the gospel under the sun. God is who He's always been. He, he will always be who He's always been. And the, and the crux of the gospel has not changed one bit. He is still who he always was. And his message of love and grace and freedom from sin by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is the only message that has ever been given by which man can be saved. So whatever the Gnostics might say, or we might say today, whatever the Christian scientists or the New Age people might say, or whatever the Scientologists might say, doesn't matter. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus actually did die to pay the price for our sins. Jesus actually did bodily raise from the tomb. It's a historical fact. It actually happened. And John knows this to be true firsthand because he actually spent time with Jesus after the resurrection. He actually stood close enough to the cross at the time when the spear went into Jesus' side, up through his ribs, punctured his lung, into his pericardium and into the heart, pulled out and blood and water flowed out proving that he was dead. He stood right there and watched it happen. He was there when they wrapped the body and quickly shoved it in this borrowed tomb because the sun was setting and they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. And he was there when they came back and the women said the tomb is empty and he rushed to the tomb alongside of Peter and found it to be empty. He was actually there when Jesus appeared to them and ate fish with them and allowed Thomas to put his hands in his wounds. He was there for the whole thing. And so no matter what these new teachers may say, nothing has changed about Jesus. There is no credible new teaching about Christ, period. Now, there's some things we haven't heard before. There may be something that you have not been exposed to, but anytime some theologian or teacher comes up with some new concept that no one has ever known about Jesus before is when we know we're in difficult waters. See, people love a new teaching. People just love to have their ears tickled. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I've heard, oh, that's interesting. People like that. If you're a parent, if you have a kid maybe in elementary school, in our, in our public school system, you already know this, how this works. Um, if you have a fourth grader, let's say, or a third grader, you can't help them with their math. Right? Am I Right? If, if your kid is in the public school system and they're getting this new common core version of math, you were never taught this, right? So you, you might know trigonometry, but you can't do your kid's long division, right? That's the deal. It's new math. And if you weren't exposed to the old stuff, then you're out of luck. They're getting new math today. Listen, there is no new math where Jesus is concerned. Nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. Jesus is still who he always was. He's the light of the world. He's the life. And he's love. And we're going to see that throughout the book of 1 John. And John is going to spell that out for us in this little manifesto of his. Listen, man's religious views and human philosophy have a way of evolving, don't they? I mean, if you went to college when I went to college back in the 1920s, if you went to college then... And you took Philosophy 101, you get a completely different deal than what they get in Philosophy 101 today. It's changed dramatically because man's always coming up with new ideas and new twists and new theories and new guesses about the meaning of life. But you know what? People make the mistake of thinking that God's truth is the same way. The, thing, the difference between God's truth and man's truth, you might want to write this down, the difference between God's truth and man's truth Is God's truth is true? That's the difference. And when it's true, it doesn't change. People don't like what they read in their Bible sometimes. So they say, look, that was a long time ago in a very different culture, and people were different in those days, and it's not meant for us today. Problem is, that's not what the word of God says. Here's the deal, guys. Every word of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit Himself who is eternally God, who knows all truth for all time, and who knows the future and knows what will happen in society and culture and philosophy and academia and all of that kind of stuff. And He gives us a truth in His Word that stands for all seasons, for all men, for all women, for all time. It does not change. When it comes to Jesus, nothing has changed. And John has first-hand knowledge of Jesus. His truth, His power, His death, His resurrection, the facts have not changed. God has not changed. The gospel message has not changed. Now, we need to hear this in our 21st century American culture because the truth of the matter is the way that we communicate the message has to change. That has to change with culture, Right? I mean, my goodness, at the time that John was preaching this, there was no printing press. People didn't have a Bible in their hands. Do you understand how blessed we are among all of the history of the world to have the written Word of God in our own language and and to be educated to understand it? It's an astonishing thing. They didn't have it then, so that's not how they communicated the gospel then. And and they, they certainly didn't have videos so that they could throw up a video on the screen and say, hey, watch what people think about who God is the way I did this morning. So, so culture changes, technology changes, time changes. The message, though, does not change. The way we communicate the message has to change. But too many Christians have made the mistake of rewriting the Bible in their own words. They're changing the actual message in order to remove the offense because they don't want people to reject them. Listen, people want to make the Bible relevant today. Can I just say this and then maybe I'll get off my soapbox. God doesn't need you to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. It is relevant. Our job is to communicate the unchanging truth of Scripture in a way that is culturally relevant. But the message itself is already relevant. And what has happened as people in an effort to make it relevant to a culture that doesn't think the way they thought in the Bible times have pulled out and stripped out essential parts of the gospel message in order to make it relevant. And what they have done is they've created something that has absolutely no relevance whatsoever because it's not truth. John and the other apostles knew what they knew about Jesus because they knew Jesus. Guys, make a note of that. It's going to be important all throughout the book of 1 John. As we study this, you're going to realize that the key to all of this is not knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. And they knew about Jesus because they knew Jesus. They had first-hand knowledge because they actually walked with Him, because they actually knew Him personally. And John is writing 1 John so that we can share in that manifestation of God that is called Jesus or the Word, so that we can share in the fellowship of the saints. What is fellowship? Fellowship is when... When a group of people has something in common that binds them together so they cannot be separated. That's what fellowship is. What is our fellowship in? It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in the relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, what you have in common with me, regardless of what we don't have in common, is that we have the same Lord. And if we get that part straight, the rest will work itself out. Amen? So, I mean, we can sit here and go, gosh, you know, you believe something about speaking in tongues different than what I believe about speaking in tongues. And you know what? That should not be a problem when it comes to fellowship. You say, well, you know what? You believe that there should be women pastors, and I believe there should not be women pastors. And you know what? That's an important issue. But should it split our fellowship? No. You say, well, listen, you know, you use the NIV version of the Bible, and I use the King James Now, should that split our fellowship? No. But if you say Jesus is not God and I say Jesus is God, we have no fellowship. Does that make sense? It's it's what binds us together. Don't you sometimes envy the apostles? They they actually got to be with them. they They were there at the funeral and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and they watched the dead guy come walking forward that has to help your faith doesn't it you know they saw lepers cleansed and the dead raised and demons cast out they heard jesus speak like you know if if ever you guys like visit another church and you hear a really great pastor preaching and you go and way and you go oh my gosh it's like it went right to my heart they got that every time with jesus right And so, don't you go, man, I wish I was there. My faith would be so much stronger if I actually saw these things, if I actually heard him speak. Well, guess what? Here's the thing. What what John attests to is that he knew him personally. The same is true for every single actual Christian on earth today. We know him personally. Guys, I talked about this last week on Easter Sunday, shared a little bit about my personal story and what the Lord has done in my life. And, and, you know, the bottom line of that is this, you know, you can talk about doctrine and you could talk about um, history and you can talk about science all you want. Here's what I know. I know that I know that I know that Jesus is who he says he is because I know Jesus and I know what he's done in my life. I know you stick a microphone in front of my face a man in a man-in-the-street interview and say, why do you believe in God? I have an answer for you. And, and I can talk to you all day about the historicity of the Bible and the, and the, the scientific claims of evolution versus the Genesis account. And we could talk about um, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm studied and all that. We can have that debate. We can have that conversation. But what it comes down for me, when my head hits the pillow at night and I know that I know that I know that I'm good with God, is because I know Him. Because I've watched what He's done in my life. And the same should be true for every Christian today. He promised His followers... John 14 through John 17, you can read this on your own this week. He promises his followers that when he leaves, he's not actually leaving. In fact, he says, it will be better for you when I leave because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will convict you concerning sin. He will empower you for ministry. He will give you strength. He will comfort you. He will do everything that you need. And he will be with every one of us at all times because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And so we don't have to go to some temple where the Holy Spirit is and get somehow some manifestation of God. God himself lives in the heart of every believer. It's astonishing. I'll bet you that in some sort of weird way, well, maybe not. I'm checking my own theology here. Uh, Okay. They don't, I was going to say the apostles in heaven envy us, but envy is a sin and there's no sin in heaven. So I think, they like our deal. <laughs> you know, wow, they have the entire communicated word of God in their hand in their own language. Wow, would that have been helpful, they're saying. <laughs> Holy Spirit with them all the time. You think we would have understood what Jesus was saying if we had had the Holy Spirit? Thanks, Jesus, for waiting until Pentecost to send the Spirit, Right? Guys, we walk with the Word of God, the Spirit of God within us at all times. Let me tell you something. You read the book of Acts, and you watch the power of those followers of Jesus, the ones who knew Him, the ones that He empowered. Watch them. Let me ask you this. The things the apostles did before the crucifixion compared to after the resurrection, which ones were mightier? After the resurrection, after the resurrection, those dudes set the world on fire. Remember, before the resurrection, they were confused and arguing and wanting to be first and didn't understand anything Jesus said. They ran and hid like scared children when the crucifixion happened. They didn't want anything to do with it, they were lost and confused. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, fills them. And they are empowered, and they set the world on fire, and the world is changed forever in one generation by the power of the Holy Spirit because they knew Him personally. So let me tell you something. Just like them, I know Him personally. That's my only claim to power, it's my only claim to a right message, it's my only claim to salvation. I have firsthand experience with him. I know he is alive because he's alive in me. I know he changes lives because he's changing my life. I don't have to find another resource to confirm the claims of Jesus. I am living out the claims of Jesus every day. I know him personally, and so do many of you. So when the enemy comes and he tries to make us doubt, Just stop and remember what He's already done in your life. The same God who was working in your life yesterday is working in your life today. Don't let our enemy tell you anything different. Just remember that you get your truth from the source. And if a few guys relying on their personal experience with Jesus, the feeling of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God could change the world in one generation, what could God's church on earth do today if we would fully rely on knowing Him personally, being filled with His Holy Spirit, and walking in obedience to His Word? You think we could change the world? You think God could do something magnificent through us that the world could never get over? That's His plan. That's why we're here. You and I, with that same Holy Spirit, that same personal relationship with Jesus, that same Word of God, We can be used to change the world too. And it all happens through love. That's why we're talking about the summer of love. It's an amazing journey with John. You're invited to continue it with us. Let's stand and pray together.